We are making our way through the book of Daniel. And so far in the book, we've done the first two chapters, and so far Daniel has been front and center. Everything's kind of been about what Daniel is doing. And if you remember, what's happened is Daniel's been exported to a foreign university. He's had to learn another language. He's um, had to do a thousand things the way a different culture does it, but then he's picked one issue and he's found a way to stand up for it. And then in chapter 2, the king has a dream about a statue of gold and um, a head of gold and chest of silver and legs of bronze and feet of iron and clay. And, and in his dream, a rock smashes the statue and Daniel ends up interpreting the dream for him. In fact, telling him what the dream is. And in Daniel's interpretation, the king has, is the head of gold and, and the dream predicts that the statue will be smashed. So the dream is actually saying to the king, you're a pretty great king, but don't get too impressed with yourself because it's not going to last. Others will take over after you. Eventually, it's all going to get smashed and then finally remade. And the king responds to this by saying, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. Do you remember any of that? You should because David did a stunning job of speaking about it last week. Thumbs up. This week, in chapter 3 of the book of Daniel, we hear almost nothing about Daniel, which is a bit odd. But we hear a lot about the king, that's King Nebuchadnezzar, and about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And for those of you who grew up on VeggieTales, you can call them Rack, Shack, and Benny. Okay? Okay, and now I was thinking about the best way of, of bringing this text story to life, and I realized that there was a parallel here. Can I just see, check here? Who here has seen the movie Despicable Me 2? At Fair Forest of Hands. Okay, so we're going to use Despicable Me to tell this story of Daniel. And if you haven't seen it, it'll make sense. It will be helpful. There's a character in this movie that I think is the person you should think of when you think of the king. And here he is. I am the league's director, Silas Ramsbottom. Bottom. <laughs> now, I... Please don't um, take offense from this. The thing about it is, this is Silas Ramsbottom, and he is in charge, as kings are, but he's a figure of fun. He's pompous and full of himself, and when he introduces himself as Silas Ramsbottom, the minions go, bottom. <laughs> can't quite do it the way they, they do. He is designed to laugh at, and in chapter 3 of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar is this. He is pompous. He is marked. In fact, I'm going to give him a nickname. I'm going to call him King Ego. He is marked by his ego. He is a figure to laugh at. And then there's Rakshak and Benny, who I'm going to call the Minions. So this sermon's title is Ego and the Minions. Okay, got that clear? <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's have a look through here. So King... Oops. I've got an extra slide here that shouldn't be here. That's a little bit of a worry. Is they're flicking away there? They are good. Okay, here it is. Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So uh, 60 cubits, that's about 27 meters. That is, uh, Chris isn't here, about the, site, uh, the height of the town hall. Um, and there is, as far as we know, archaeologically, um, there is no structure that is this height at that time. 
A little while later, there's the, a thing called the Colossus of Rome, uh, Rhodes, and it gets written about, and it might be equivalent. So it's actually massive for the day. And, uh, but let's just think for a moment. What happened in the chapter before? He has a dream about a statue, and it gets smashed. And the kind of the message is, you're not so great. So, chapter 3... King Nebuchadnezzar makes a statue, and appropriate response to this is... <laughs> he did what? He just had this dream saying, this is pointless. He's a figure of fun. It's just nuts that this is what he'd do. And this one is made of gold. And if you figure it out, the amount of gold in the world, this is absolutely massive. Okay, chapter two. Now, if you could read the blue text with me, I'd appreciate it. I know it's going to seem strange, but there's a point to it. Here we go. Then He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial figures to come to the dedication of the image he'd set up. Remember the word pompous? Who lists all these people? Well, this is like a bit from Pride and Prejudice. It's taking the mickey of them. And you know the way you know that? Look at the next verse. Oops, sorry. I promise it won't happen every slide. Okay, I lied. <laughs> then, verse... Hold on, is that still verse 2? What am, okay, let's go to verse 3. And so, read it with me, the satraps, prefects, governors and advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials, old Uncle Tom Copley and all, assembled for the dedication for the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Now, can you imagine, if you were telling this around the campfire, you're going to be laughing at the king already. What a pompous donkey's rear end. You know, it's, he just doesn't gather a few of the people. Or it's, he doesn't, not even all of the people. He gathers the satraps and the judges and the magistrates. He gathers everyone to get together. At this point in time, King Ego makes President Trump look measured and selfless. That's the only Trump reference I will make. Okay. And then the herald proudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every uh, language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of, you know it by now, the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must bow down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into, and if you could join me with this, a blazing furnace. Now, with a bit more dramatically, please, a Blazing furnace. Okay, you've got the idea here. Can you see? It's taking the Mickey. It's saying this is. It's not. It doesn't just have an orchestra. No, he has a piccolo and a cello, and they name them all because this is all about pomp and ceremony. And this is King Ego, who has built a statue for himself and gathered all of these people. And look, here we are. And then, therefore, as soon as they heard. The sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music. All the nations and peoples of every nation fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I have a question for you. What's this image of gold about? Does it name a god? Are we told what it is? When it's referred to in this story, how does it refer to it? It says the image of God that... King Nebuchadnezzar has set this out. There's a clue here. What's this statue about? 
It's about the king, about king ego. It's about him feeling good. And at this point in time, interestingly, no sign of Rack Shack and Benny. They have absented themselves. They're off somewhere else doing something else. Strategically, they have chosen not to come out with um, uh, picket boards. They've just, they're not there. So a couple of, some troublemakers come up. Interestingly, astrologers, because remember, these are the guys that would have been studying, uh, they would have studied under them. They come forward and denounce the Jews and said to, and spot the toadying in this, King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must bow down and worship the image of God. And who does not bow down and worship the image of God, whoever does not, will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews. So these troublemakers come and they point and say, these guys are out of line. Okay. Furious with rage. And why is he angry? Because the statue is about him. King Nebuchadnezzar summons them and these men are brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar says to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, type, if you are ready to bow down and worship the image that I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace and then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I called this guy King Ego because that's how he acts. He builds a statue. Now, everybody, we all want to feel good about ourselves, don't we? We want to feel like it, it's good. And one of the ways we can feel good is to have other people tell us we're good. And it's really easy to laugh at King Nebuchadnezzar because he is a horse's bottom at this but there is something in him and in us that makes us want to build statues. And it's got to do with our insecurity. I want to have something other people will point at and say how great I am. That's what a statue is. It's the part of us that wants to be Superman or Wonder Woman or whatever the version is. And maybe in our world we don't actually build statues of gold, but we do other things. I've worked alongside businessmen who work 90-hour weeks and watched them sacrifice all of their family relationships, actually a lot of their friends, and then to their shock and horror, they get close to retirement age and their business essentially divorces them. They have built this massive, built this massive statue and then it just says, cheers. I've seen people do the same thing with their families where the family becomes a kind of status symbol Successful kids, the beautiful home. It actually even happens in church, I'm sad to say. Christians confuse their ambition with God's. They enthuse about the great, wonderful statues they're going to make in God's name. And when you confuse your ego with what God wants, things get, well, complicated. Um, anybody know who this is? This is Jesse Duplantis, who's a televangelist in uh, America who already has three other planes but he would like his viewers to stump up something like 60 million US dollars for a brand new Falcon 7X. Now he wants this because God apparently told him he needs it so that he can fly across the world without stopping. I have a question for you. Do you think God said that? No. 
Do you think it might possibly be him confusing his ego with God? Do you think God has an objection to people flying um, economy class with the hoi polloi? Something's wrong here. He's making this gold statue. It's about his ego. And really, the only response to this is, <laughs> is to laugh. <laughs> yep, I still think that's funny. <laughs> we can have a competition later for the best minions voice. Now look, personally, I'd love you all to look up to me and think I'm wonderful. Um, I really would. That would satisfy my ego for about 30 seconds. And then I would go back to feeling insecure. Because we carry this in us. And if we're feeling insecure, no amount of success, no matter how big the statue is, it's not going to fix it. And we see that played out on the world stage. It's why our rock stars and, music star and movie stars crash and burn, because no statue is big enough. You can't fix the feeling of insecurity by something external. And if we let our ego drive us, what it will do is make it all about us. And it might be, for most of us, the temptations are in things that we're good at, because that's what we feel good about. So we're tempted for that. But our ego will slowly make everything about achievement and attainment. And Christianity becomes a worthless uh, a contest. And everyone loses. Everyone is subject to this, I think. The temptation to build a statue. There was a moment in John the Baptist's life when he, he's baptized Jesus and things are going on and some of his disciples come to him in John 3 and they say, that man who you baptized, well, everybody's going to him. And, and, and they say, he's baptizing people. And John says, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Say that again. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. John is past his ego. He wants to see God's kingdom come, and that might be at the cost of his own. John is acting, I hope, as followers of Jesus would act. And then he goes on to talk about, I'm going to become lesser, says John, and Jesus will become greater. And we can do that because at the heart of Jesus is grace, that you are loved before you did anything. You don't have to earn that. Your sense of wholeness isn't found in achievement. It's found in the grace and love of God. And because of that, because every breath we have is a gift, our story doesn't have to be all about us. The worst thing about ego is it makes things about me. But because of that, your story, my story, involves us, but is about more than us. Well, that's what I think at a personal level. The marks of spotting someone's building a, building a statue is it's crazy. You just look, you what? If you were one of King Nebuchadnezzar's friends, you would have looked at him and said, what are you doing pouring all that money into a statue? That's, that's just bonkers. 
But it's not just individuals that do this. Our society does it too. In the 1950s, two te technological changes started to change society. One was the introduction of cheap printing, magazines, um, and the other was the television. And both were really good at showing us images of people. And so they showed us a lot of images of people, and guess what products suddenly started being selling really well? Because you could advertise them. Cosmetics, yep, and cleaning products. Because you could show, this is Joe's dirty house, and this is Joe's clean house. Now, it, it, it's a bit, we have the benefit of some time so we can look back. Nobody ever thinks, I'm going to build a gold statue. It just creeps up on you. And here's a sign of it for me. You know, people used to buy brand new fancy lounge suites and then cover them with plastic. So they would have a living room with this lovely furniture which nobody wanted to sit on because it was covered in plastic because the important thing was that it was shiny as new. Is that true? Anyone been in a room like that? I have. Unconsciously, they're building this gold statue in their living room. Sorry, if that's you, um, uh, uh, cheap shot. I, uh, didn't, I don't mean to. Um, feel free. Um, it may be really comfortable. I've dug a hole for myself. Please forgive me. Um, <laughs> having a living room that you can't live in is bonkers. It's crazy. My problem is, I don't think we just do this personally. I think we do this as a whole society. So please forgive me. I'm going to be opinionated just for a moment or two. It seems to be the scientific consensus that our world is undergoing climate change. Our people were arguing stronger about it 20 years ago, but this last July, one month ago, we saw the hottest weather ever recorded in our world. Um, and we read of bushfires raging out of fire in multiple countries. And yes, it's winter for us, so it's not so obvious. But it seems to be these changes are likely to bring increasingly chaotic and disruptive weather patterns and raise ocean levels, which for Christchurch is an issue. And in Western culture, well, how are we responding? We're pretty much continuing to pump massive amounts of carbon and methane into our atmosphere because we have statues to build. We want more, more gadgets, more high-rises. We want more and more and more to make us feel good. And I worry that this is king ego behavior. It's all about us. It's statue-building behavior. Here's another one. This, that little dot there, is the amount of cryptocurrency in the world. It's 294 billion, for those of you who can't read it. Um, this is the amount of money, the amount of gold in the world. We make out 7.8 trillion. Big numbers, I know. This is the amount of money invested in the global stock market, 77.7 trillion. This is the amount of money in the world. Apparently, there's broad money and narrow money, and um, no, sadly, that is not a sexist term, but Total money, something like $95 trillion. Okay, got an idea on this? This is the size of real estate in the world, $217 trillion. Here's where we're at. This is the global debt. $247 trillion. I don't know about you, this looks a bit crazy to me. Um, there's been a significant shift, shift in my lifetime as to how we're dealing with debt. I think we've got some statue-building behavior going on as a culture. If I'm making you uncomfortable, well, I'm making me uncomfortable. 
Okay, last one. Um, this just post posted up this week. I'm sorry I've forgotten the website, which is naughty of me. Um, this is New Zealand. And these two graphs are to try and show how wealth is being distributed. This one on the, this one over here, if I just do this, this one over here, it's kind of showing, look, 22% um, of New Zealand, uh, sorry, 1% of New Zealand owns 22% of the country. Um, and down here, 50% of New Zealand owns about 2% of the country. That's not the bit that worries me. I mean, that is worrying. Um, but this, is, um, this first building here, that was drawn in 2015. We are three years later. And um, that 50% that used to own 5.4%, according to this, now own 2%. We're living in a world where inequality levels are getting greater and greater. Less people are, uh, are getting, owning more and more. More people are owning less and less. And we just carry on as if there's no consequences. Growing inequality is terrible for society. In the end, that's what leads to unstable societies, unjust societies. It's statue-building behavior. If this was a king, you would pull up to the king and say, mate, are you thinking about what you're doing? In Isaiah 44, there's this thing. The Jews knew not to build an image to God, but in Isaiah 44, there's this line that says, this is how you make an idol. You take stuff, physical stuff, and you make it into an image, and then you bow down to it. And why do you do that? It's lifeless. It's pointless. The Jews knew you shouldn't do this because it doesn't have life. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... And at this point in time, this story dramatically changes because up until now, it's all been pomp and ceremony. It's been the long lists. Shadrach, Meshach, Rakshak, and Beni reply to the king, and they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Eh? If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, yeah, nah, we're not doing this. I'm not playing that game. <coughs> We will not serve your gods or worship the image that you've set up. And in the context of all the harps and zizzers and satraps and governors, they're like a glass of ice-cold, chlorine-free water on a hot summer's day. They just speak the truth. And the thing that fascinates me is there they are, standing up, knowing that they're probably going to get thrown into a blazing furnace, into a blazing furnace, and they say, we don't need to defend ourselves. And they don't, because the statue isn't about them. Who's it about? It's about the king. And the toughest thing when you're fighting someone who's being owned by their ego is they, it's really easy to make it about them. It isn't. This is a brilliant response, if a little scary. Because what happens next? Oh, sorry. Apologies for that. What happens next is that king ego does what egos do. He rages. And he has the blazing furnace heated up seven times hotter and has them thrown in. And it's so hot that even the bouncers who drag them there, they burn up. They don't even go into the furnace. Now, a bit of irony in here. If you're going to make a huge gold statue, what do you have to do? Melt a lot of gold. So you need a big blazing furnace. And then Kikigo looks in and he sees a, an image not dissimilar to the end of a Terminator movie. 
thumbs up. Four people walking around. Hang on, four people? And he says, look, I see four people walking around in the fire. I think I've got this up there. Unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Turns out that God was waiting in the furnace for Rakshak and Benny to join them. How scary is that? Me, I'd rather skip the furnace. King Ego looks in and he is rocked. His ego is shaken to the core. And you can tell because the next thing he says is still pompous, but not quite as pompous. Here's what he says. They come out. Oh, yep, sorry. Apologies. He doesn't say it. You can see it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, and Hannah, there's only four groups of people now. We've halved our pomposity. They come out and they haven't been harmed. Nothing's been harmed. And this is what the king says. We're back to some pomposity here. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent us his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Question for you. Who is that about, that sentence? Who's he talking about? Is he talking about them or is he talking about God? It's actually a bit more focused on them. He's really shaken with them. And then he says, Therefore I decree that people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut in pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save this way. We're back to the pompous stuff. And we're back to a focus. He's shifted from his ego, thinking, well, it must be about them. And they get promoted. There are many paths to promotion. I'm not sure that I recommend this one. So I think there's some lessons for us. I think that we who want to follow Jesus need to be aware of and beware of our egos, our ambitions. It's really easy to confuse them with God's. I think... It's helpful for us to be aware of our insecurities because left to ourselves, we will construct a statue like the king. Our egos will make us do that and insist that people bound out of it. You know how when you do something good and no one notices? And so you find yourself sort of bringing it up because you just want just a little bit of bowing from someone else to feel better. No one else does that? Okay, that's just me. How do you do that? I suspect that prayer as listening and stillness is really helpful. It's pretty hard because our lives are so full and there's so much going on and sometimes what bubbles up isn't much fun. But I think that prayer as noticing, where are you, God, what are you doing, helps set us free. I suspect... Some of our modern-day issues with anxiety and depression and tiredness and busyness might have something to do with our egos, not always just our own, but what our culture is hungry for. Our egos and the gold statues we find we want to construct. A hint for you, whatever you are most obsessed with and spend most of your time with demands all your time. That's likely to be where you will build a statue. Another term that Richard Rohr uses for ego is he, um, 
He calls it the false self. It lies to us. So half I want to say, recognize where you might be tempted to build a statue. Try and ride shotgun on it. And I do think for all of us, we can help each other with this, sometimes with a minion's laugh. You want what? <laughs> Not always. Sometimes they get you punched. When Jesus is tempted by Satan in the desert, he's offered three temptations. The first is to grab more. Make bread. You don't have enough, so just take it. Because it's all about you. The second temptation is to jump from the top of the tallest temple to show he has no limits. Because living with limits is something we're called to. Limits because it's not all about us. And the third temptation is to bow to Satan and Satan will give him everything. Because that's what we want, isn't it? Everything. And then the last temptation was for him to stay on the cross and be prepared to die. Because in the end, he knew it wasn't only about him. He came to seek and save the lost. The ultimate act of, of surrendering your ego is to allow yourself to be killed when you have the power to step out of it. So, an eye to the statue and then an eye to the minions. Those are the powerless. Actually, we don't have to play all the games. We can choose less. It's not always about me. So it's probably worth knowing what your problems are, and in this case, they knew what, actually, this was the king's problem. This story is about a pompous king. It isn't actually about Rakshak and Benny. We don't have to get wound up into all of it, but maybe in the context of those bigger pictures, some suggestions. Yeah, can we, I look, I know it's not easy, but yeah, I'm a greenie in this. Can we live in a way that honors the creation we've been asked to steward? Just as you would if you were looking after someone else's house. So maybe that does mean, can we stop with the plastic bags and go easy on the petrol use and consider, how can we live well? And I know that's not easy. Okay, I'm not going to propose it's simple. I would propose that those of us who are following Jesus should take this seriously. And that might mean, I would suggest, yes, if you can, buy things secondhand. Avoid debt. It's not your friend. Our country, our, our society is rushing in that direction. And then that third picture I showed of the inequality, actually Jill um, spoke a few weeks ago and just said that she'd turned down the possibility of a promotion because she figured out it wasn't a perfect fit. And actually, thank you, big ups. Knowing what we're called to, being able to step off the treadmill, being able to try and find you've made me for a life like this. A week ago, a good friend told me he'd led his mum to Jesus. It took him 30 years. And the way he got there was that his, um, his mum said to him, I don't know how to let go of all this anger and hurt. And he said, look, when I don't know how to carry stuff, I take it to Jesus and give it to Jesus and try and leave it at the cross. And that was enough. It was an egoless sharing of the kingdom of God. I think we can do that. I think we can actually be minions. We can help each other make decisions that aren't just about us and our glory, but about others. And sometimes we can laugh 
at our egos or keep them in step just by going, is this really what God's calling you to? And then I hope that we'll get able to be like these minions there and have a bit of fun and stand in front of whoever our king ego is and go, actually, this one's not really my problem. My response to this is going to be this. Whether or not God gives me the pathway out, I want. So what I figured I'd do, we'll sing, we've got three songs set to sing, but, um, and I'll have the team come up. I wanted to just give us about a minute of just quiet, and I'd like you to reflect on what I've talked about. I'd like you to think about the ego part and the business of standing firm in front of somebody else's ego. I'd like you to consider with God, well, where are you at? And then we're going to sing three songs that are about Jesus. And one is nothing but the blood of Jesus to remind us that it's not what we do. So, God, I invite you in your spirit to work amongst us now. Stir up in us emotions that we feel deep within. Stir up in us thoughts of what is going on in our world. May we see you clearly, but may we also see in a mirror ourselves. Speak, Holy Spirit.